Hey guys, you're listening to the Mixed Feels Podcast coming at you from NYC with your hosts, Cruz and Unco Dan. Mixed Feels explores and discusses topics meant to give our listeners a heavy dose of mixed feelings. This podcast is an extension of MixedFeels.com. You're about to listen to our first episode where Unco Dan sits down with fellow Mixie Davy Millard, who runs an English school and coffee roaster assemblage out of West Tokyo. Uncle Dan and Davey discuss everything from coffee roasting to the influence of the wa on Japanese society to what it's like to be mixed in Japan. And just a side note, I was unavailable at the time of the interview, so in this episode you will only be hearing Uncle Dan and Davey's voices throughout the discussion. Davey and Noah Millard are mixed Japanese-American brothers who grew up in Japan. They're the creators of Rogatori, which means rogue individuals connected through trade. Rogatore is a lifestyle ethos that aims to empower a balance between work and family life among Japanese people. The spirit of Rogatore is realized in Davy and Noah's English school and coffee roaster assemblage in West Tokyo. It was mid-afternoon on a weekday. We sat down in an unagi restaurant just off the Hoya station stop in West Tokyo. The place was empty and we had the second floor all to ourselves. There's only really one thing you want to order at this place. So without looking at the menu, we dive right into our conversation. For Davy and Noah, the work that they do is a response to a problem that is deeply rooted within Japanese society and culture. Davy explains. At the time, and still, I think there's this underlining belief in me and Noah that the Japanese family structure, there's, there's a big problem in them, there's a hole in, in general, right? The biggest problem is that the, the father, the dad, spends way too much time at work. There's no priority on that father to love and to spend a lot of like quality time with his children or wife. So our vision was to start a company that we could hire Japanese people in the in the in the area to work for us and teach them the importance of working hard but also just working a nine to six job. I wanted to impart this cultural difference that you work hard but you also have to be there for your family, for your friends. Davy explains that some Japanese men are aware of this problem, but find a sense of honor and purpose in dedicating their lives to their company. To give an example, Davy tells a story of a friend named Ray who goes into a job interview and is told just what kind of commitment it would take to work with the company. One of my really good friends, Ray, he went to the second or third interview, and the guy was like, you know what, we're going to hire you, like, but do you have the commitment that it takes? And he was like, yeah, man, of course, you know. And the interviewer started talking about how he didn't hold his daughter until the daughter was like three years old and he was kind of bragging about it like saying this is how much commitment I have to the company and he doesn't even see the kid and Ray was like that's messed up what is the point of having a child having a family if you're not going to commit to spending time with that family right one might be inclined to disagree with Davey and his friend Ray after all hard work leads to getting that cheddar cheese for many spending most of one's time at work not taking sick days or vacations, has proven to take one far in life. This topic hits close to home, especially in a place like New York, where brutally long and isolating hours is the norm. For many in the West, extreme commitment to one's job shows great discipline and dedication to taking care of and providing for our loved ones. However, as Davy continues to explain, sometimes this culture of overwork goes too far, and in many cases can even lead to death. I have yet to see New Yorkers take their commitment to work this far, yet for the Japanese, death by overwork has become an everyday phenomenon. So there's two words, karoshi uh, and kodokushi. Karoshi means work by over death, right? Devi means death by overwork. And the other one is kodokushi. Kodoku means 
solitude or being lonely, right? So karoshi is this crazy thing that happens to mainly younger people than us, maybe like 25 to like 30. You work so much and you're so stressed out that the doctors can't find anything wrong with the dead body and they're just like, this guy died of overwork. And there's thousands of examples, thousands of people dying from just working too much, right? And the other one is kodokushi, which means death by loneliness. Now there's so many old people dying by themselves, no family. These types of deaths have become so common that people are actually profiting off of them. Our friend runs a business. He, he makes a lot of money because he has to clean up after dead bodies because the way they find out is because of the smell. Like people upstairs or downstairs, next door calls the, the apartment manager and they're like, yo, we haven't seen so-and-so and it stinks. And then my friend's company, he goes in, takes care of the dead body, cleans everything up. But he likes it because he gets to keep everything that the people own. Sometimes it's like the, it's like a, a hoard house where the guy was hoarding stuff and it's crazy. But sometimes he's like, yeah, I found like a $10,000 gold brick before. And like, like even at the least, he's finding like hundreds of dollars worth of like stuff that he can sell. People actually are dying by themselves and nobody even knows about it for, for weeks. So that was the, the, the reason that we were like, yeah, let's just do this. Like, it's risky. We're going to invest tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours. We knew that. But we were like, let's do it. So some people in the West may be familiar with the amount of work-related suicides in Japan. But within a context where Kiroshi and Kodokoshi are part of everyday reality, suicide seems almost trivial. And that's the dark irony to all this, that death has become banal. We spend most of our lives working, so it's not an exaggeration to suggest that ultimately we're working towards our graves. While this phenomenon is more explicitly expressed by Kiroshi within Japanese society, let's not pretend like this isn't the case most everywhere else. Work, as the primary means of subsistence, is an absolute, non-negotiable qualification for life. To a certain degree, everyone's working towards death, as if we were working for it like it were some ultimate reward, or working for it as if we were its employees. In return for a semblance of autonomy, success, and progress, you surrender all the bits of digital data that track your every action and movement. Data which will be processed, reused, and targeted back at you to reinforce your tendencies and habits that have become so predictably you. I don't think it's news to anyone, but I bring this up to make the point that if you think you're exempt from this misery, guess again. In order to understand how we can begin to break free from these cycles of violence, we need to understand just what the forces are that are holding us back from change. For Davy and Noah, it's the culture of work, and because the degree to which work to the point of death is so embedded within Japanese society, it has become synonymous with what it means to be Japanese itself. This is the problem that Davy and Noah are working towards providing an alternative to. Life doesn't have to revolve around work to such an extreme extent that death has to be a predetermined outcome. Sure, we can joke about how death and taxes are two absolute givens in life, but the Malaras want to shift the center of life away from work and back towards family. They want to transform the Japanese relationship to work and thereby to their families and to themselves. To help empower and sustain their vision, the Malaras created a new concept to bring into the world, Rogatori. Road and trade. Like, what does it mean, you know, like... The concept of being yourself, being an individual, the rogue aspect of it, but also being, you know, 
involved in some kind of market, some you know, doing some trade, doing business. Davy continues to explain how Rogatori started off as a clothing retailer because it was something they could easily train Japanese people to do, to teach them how to work while imparting their ethos of also spending time and caring for one's family. However, they realized that reselling clothes was not sustainable for them, so they transitioned to teaching English. But of all things, why an English school? Davy explains that it all started with their friend Jay, who at the time was struggling to find work, but who had experience teaching English. Me and Jay and Noah, we were talking, and Jay was really down and depressed, and he was working at this place where they make boxes. He was getting paid like literally 500 yen a day. We were like, hey, why don't we see if we can start an English school together in Hoya? And then we were like, hey, do you like teaching English? And he's like, yeah, I love teaching English. And we were like, do you want to do it as a career? And he's like, yeah, I do. So we were like, hey, you know, we'll hire you. Let's get start an English school for <clears throat> the people in this community. When it came to deciding what direction they would take Rogatore, Davy and Noah turned to their friend Jay and decided they teach English. But wait, I thought what Davy wanted to do was to hire Japanese people. If he starts an English school to teach English, how could he then hire Japanese people? Davy explains how even though he and Noah didn't want to teach English, it ultimately was the easiest and most obvious thing for them to do. Teaching English was a result of wanting to help their friend Jay find a job, as well as keeping Rogatori afloat. So why not just start with what you know? As both foreigners and locals, Davy and Noah knew that there would always be a demand for learning English. Teaching English in Japan is like selling weed. It's like that on the sly? No, it's like, it's so easy, you can do it, like, you can do it with your eyes closed, you can, like, sell, you can teach English anywhere in Japan and make yeah. a lot of money, right? Yeah, okay. It's kind of like the easy way out of all your problems as a foreigner. So nobody likes doing it, right? So Noah and I didn't want to do it, but what we were thinking was, our, our good friend needs a job, mm-hmm. you know? We need to do something in this space. We've done it for so many years, and that we could also do it, and we could do a good job. We just need to make a curriculum, we need to get the students. And we're like, oh, we can get 100 students in a year, it'd be easy. <laughs> Turned out that it's actually a lot of work, but yeah, it, it was mainly because of, uh, of Jay that we wanted to do an English school. We kind of didn't want to do it because we knew that we wouldn't be able to hire Japanese people. Like, that's part of what we want to do, we want to hire Japanese people, mm-hmm. but we were like, by doing this, you know, it's not like we don't want to hire foreigners, it's just that's not our vision, our original vision was hire somebody like the guy, the guy that worked for us. I think Noah was telling you that he didn't go to, he didn't, he dropped out of high school yeah. and he could barely touch a computer, but we taught him everything. Davy clarifies that it's not just any Japanese person they want to hire. Rogatori is specifically looking to hire society's undesirables, the outcasts, those who don't fit in with Japanese society. In Japan, more than America, I think, if you don't go to high school, like, you're a screw up. Like, you, you aren't worth anything in Japan. If you don't go to high school, right? Yeah. You're really looked down upon. You can't get any job, right? There's you can only get manual labor or restaurant work, right? Um, and in Japan, you can make some money. You can, you know, if you're a construction worker, you can make a lot of money. But that is the worst because you're working all. You're working six days a week, no paid vacation. Um, you all day, right? So it's like, we know a lot of people that do that, and it just sucks, like, you don't want that, you don't want any of your friends to do that, because you won't ever see them, they only get one day off a week, and because they work six days a week, 12 hours a day, they're just so dead, right, by the end of that, and that's what he did for a long time, so when we asked him if he wanted to work at a, at a 
business, you know, you know, using computers, he was just, he cried. He literally cried, and he was like, thank you, you know. I, I don't know how I can pay you guys back. So he's the type of guy, somebody that is kind of an outcast in Japan, who doesn't fit in, doesn't have that many friends, who's, you know, maybe they didn't go to high school. That's the type of person we want to be able to hire. Hmm. Opening an English school was a great start. But Davey and Noah realized they needed to supplement their income even more if they were hoping to fulfill their dream of hiring and giving a new life to those who didn't fit into Japanese society. So what came next seemed totally random and out of nowhere, but it would eventually work out perfectly. Davey started to roast coffee. The learning curve was pretty steep, but just like everything Davey and Noah seemed to do, they took a leap of faith and dove right in. The coffee roasting, that, but that started only because you always had like an allergy allergy to a reaction and one day you just decided that you wanted to research it or what was the story again i watched ted talk and the guy this crazy guy on ted talk was like 90 percent of the coffee that is sold in the world is rotten it just kind of catch you right yeah, yeah, yeah. And i'm like what so let's back up real quick apparently david didn't even drink coffee for whatever reason coffee would give him really bad headaches so even though he loved the smell, he couldn't bring himself to drink it on a daily basis. One day, Davey watched a TED Talk with Asher Aaron on the topic of coffee roasting. We'll include a link to the YouTube video in the show notes. This talk would eventually play a big role in changing the course of Rogatory. Essentially what he was saying was, you have to drink your coffee as soon as you roast it. He was kind of like, his analogy, I forget what it was, but the analogy we use is rice. I think Asian people can identify, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't cook rice, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If it's not cooked, you can keep it in a bag in the pantry for months. Literally months, years maybe, it doesn't matter. No fool cooks it and keeps it in the pantry because it will rot mm -hmm. and it will visibly rot. It'll become black, it'll become stinky. Coffee doesn't get stinky and the change, the, the taste doesn't change that much. Mm -hmm. But essentially what the guy was saying was that it rots. You can't tell that it rots. And I was like, this and I just it was an instinctive thing. I was like, this is it because I've always loved the smell of coffee and I love the taste, but I couldn't drink it. When I drink it, I just got a headache, right? I can't definitively say that freshly roasted coffee is what helps, but I was like, this might be it. I, you know, I was just so excited. I was like, maybe finally I'm gonna be able to drink coffee. Yeah, so me and Noah ordered some green beans, we did it on a fry pan. Uh -huh. And it was so smoky, and we burned it a few times, but we were like, what is this? This is so different from anything we've ever drank. Yeah. And like, from that day on, so many of our friends tell us that they can't go back. That And our customers, too. They say, we will never be able to go back to any other coffee. And that is just so exciting. So that's how I got into coffee, like just roasting it for myself on a fry pan. Mm -hmm. And then I got a $100 roaster that's really small that you do with your hand. Yeah. How Was it like a steep learning curve? Like what kind of roaster to get, what beans to use, all that stuff? Like from what country? It's like, oh, for someone who doesn't know coffee, it's like seems pretty like, oh, there's a lot to learn. We didn't train under anybody. We read a lot of books, watched a ton of videos. But what ended up doing it is we realized that there's craft coffee, you know, where it's like four maniacs, right? And there's American maniacs, there's Japanese maniacs, they're so, it's just so crazy, right? They're down to the nitty gritty. But we were like, we were like, we want to just sell online. So we need to make something that 
everyone likes, right? Mm-hmm. Just it might not be that unique, but it's something that everyone likes. So that took us a long time. We had four different beans that we use, and we just tried tons and tons of variations. What's hard is to always be able to produce the same taste. Because mm-hmm. our customers would be kind of irritated if yeah. they're getting this one particular taste that they enjoy, and then three months later, it's totally different. It's super, it's too bitter, or it's too acidic. They'd be like, hey, what's going on, right? Yeah. So to be able to make that same taste consistently is what's harder than the initial learning curve. Because um, that was so fun. It was so exciting. Yeah. Like, me and Noah loved reading the books. We loved watching the videos. It was yeah. so fun. And the other hard thing is, this is what Noah does more than I do, but selling it on Amazon. Just He's always listening to podcasts. He's always learning how to do the SEO within Amazon, how to market it better on Amazon. So Noah does that way more than I do. I do more of the roasting and the, the nitty-gritty, like talking to our customers and making sure everything's okay with them. So for Jay, for Jay, he's also been helping us check the beans, bagging the beans, and it's something that's been really good because it gives him some busy work too because now that we've made a really good curriculum for our English school, he doesn't have that much stuff to do sometimes too. Surprisingly, running an English school and a coffee roaster out of the same building actually worked out. No doubt a main draw of your school now is the coffee that so happens to come with it. I tell Davey it must be nice for the students to come in and sit down to have a conversation in English over a cup of coffee. So like 99% of the people that walk through our doors are like terrified because they're going in to meet and talk to a foreigner because they don't have any foreigner friends. Like, it's like an out-of-body experience for them. So only a handful of people have the guts to be like, what the heck is this stuff, right? They don't even know if we can speak Japanese. We, We can, but we don't, you know. So we try to put a good spin on it by saying, yeah, you see all this stuff. It's, you know, we also have a coffee roasting business that we do in the mornings. That's the coffee that we just serve to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you ever want it, we'll give you a you know, free sample. So we try to, before they have a negative image, we pitch them a positive image. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oddly, the biggest learning curve wasn't learning how to roast and brew coffee, find students, or teach an English curriculum. The hardest thing for Davey and Noah was finding a balance between fulfilling the actual mission of Rogatore, hiring and teaching those who were unwanted, while also remaining patient and encouraging. Hiring people and teaching them has been a huge learning curve for Noah and I, I think. I realized that most people just aren't good workers, right? Like when my dad, when we were growing up, he would always make us work, do vacuuming, wiping down. You always say a good worker never needs to be told what to do. And I used to be like, what the heck does that mean? Until I was like in high school and I was working a part-time job and everyone else sucked. (laughs) <laughs> before anybody, before the boss said do this, mm-hmm. I was already on it because I was I was in that mentality. Mm-hmm. The boss doesn't need to tell me what to do because I'm going to be thinking ahead of what needs to be done to accomplish this task, mm-hmm. right? Maybe because it's my own business, like, like I love it. Like out of the eight hours, nine hours that I'm there, I don't lose focus. I'm so into it, and I just mm-hmm. want to do a good job. And I'm so in the in in the zone, you know. Like, sometimes I don't want the work day to end because I'm in the zone. I want to finish, like, five more things. Mm-hmm. But then if I do that, I know that Yumiko's going to have to put the kids in the shower by herself mm-hmm. and take care of everything by herself. But I think most people are the opposite. They're just like, oh, when is it going to become 6 o'clock so I can leave, you know? Okay, I'm going to go take a break, right? Um, so it's been, it's been, that has probably been the biggest blessing and, like, so encouraging, but also the hardest thing to hire people because 
we've hired there's only one person that we hired that wasn't a friend everybody else has been a friend right so mm -hmm. It's been so hard because it's kind of like irritating that these people are so bad at working mm. and we're paying them. But it's rewarding to see them grow. And that's our vision, right? So so it's like, it's the hardest thing, but I know that it's the best thing, right? Yeah, because if you're trying to like look down on them and like yell at them, then we'd be no different than the Japanese companies. As our conversation continued, I couldn't help but notice how nearly everything Davy and Noah did seemed to be an extension of their mixed experience in Japan. When the Millars first started their school, it was never their intention for it to be anything other than that. But as Mixies know well, we are always other than what we seem. Things are always more complex than they appear, they're always fluid and in a process of becoming. And so it was with Rogatore, which began as a clothing store located in a retrofitted recording studio that became an English school and now also a coffee roaster. It comes at no surprise to me that this blend of disparate elements has mixed together so well into a cohesive whole. I explain this to Davy. The school used to be a recording studio, mm -hmm. now it's a school slash coffee roaster. It's all like, everything's just like a mixture of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, nothing is like one thing, it's all like multiple things, yeah, all, yeah. all at the same time. I guess I don't really have a question, it's mm -hmm. more of an observation, but I'm just curious, like, like how much of the school and the coffee roaster right now would you say is like, an extension of like, you and Noah's like, experience growing up, like, being mixed? Like, can you somehow tie it into is there a connection there like what you said right now is very encouraging because it gives me like this assurance that it's not totally crazy it's that it's part of an extension of the way i am the way noah is is that we grew up in in japan but in a very crazy situation in japan and you know our family wasn't crazy but just we were just we, different than everyone else mm -hmm. we were always different mm -hmm. and that now we're not doing everything the same but that it's okay yeah, just talking to you has been really encouraging. What you just said about it being an extension of us is very encouraging, too. Yeah, does that answer your question? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I just want to hear you say something about it. Uh, but it sounds like... I, I think your assessment is really right, yeah. Uh, I think... I, think I mean, I guess I can make that assessment, but it's like you're you're living it, so you maybe like... I haven't even thought about it that much, but yeah, now that you say it... Because you're in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, makes yeah. sense, and it gives me assurance that we're not doing anything crazy, too, you know? No, we're makes... just being ourselves. Exactly. We're not being fake. We're just doing yeah. everything we can to get by. And You know, I mean, I think in terms of the English school, I think I would be very happy with, like, getting some somebody from America who wants to teach English, ESL, paying them and not having anything to do with it in terms of day-to-day... But in terms of the coffee, I act, we, we both love roasting. Even though I would want, really want to hire somebody, it might just be like bagging the coffee. I don't, I want to be roasting. I want to roast forever. Like it's just so fun and it's so exciting and making new blends is so fun. So, so we don't know what is, what's going to happen. We don't know yeah. like... What do you see yourselves like 10, 20 years down the road? Yeah, even 10 or 20 years down the road, me and Noah were just talking about it a few weeks ago. The coffee business, you know, if it grows, Jake can manage it, you know, we can just get some money, some royalty, but we're not, you know, whoever is teaching, doing all the work can get most of the money from it, but the coffee, I feel like, I wouldn't mind roasting for another 10 or 20 years, just, it's so fun, and maybe we can even open a cafe, you know. That wraps up this first episode and the first half of our conversation with David Millard. 
The English school currently has 40 students and has had as many as 50 students during the past three years. Teaching, training, mentoring, and empowering others. It has all happened so organically for Davy and Noah. By empowering others, they've empowered themselves to empower others even more. They've created a positive cycle, as opposed to the negative cycle of work and death prevalent in Japanese society. Our second episode continues the discussion between Dan and Davy and is dedicated solely to the topic of the WA, a unique social phenomenon which helps us understand why karoshi is in fact a logical extension of Japanese work culture. Davy will also discuss his experiences and thoughts on growing up mixed in Japan and how his unconventional upbringing helped him resist the WA, as well as Japanese work culture. And remember, this podcast is an extension of our site, mixedfeels.com, where you can find the full articles on Rogatore that we've written. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to write us at admin.mixedfeels.com or hit us up on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing more with you on our next episode. Until then.